this is episode 33. You're listening to the All Hazards Podcast, where we take you behind the scenes to give you exclusive access to emergency managers who've been on the front lines of some of the nation's most difficult challenges. Where we have candid conversations about the challenges facing all emergency managers, no matter how big or small the community. Here's your host, Sean Boyd. Welcome to another episode of the All Hazards Podcast. Today, we are on scene at the Modoc July Complex Fire. It started on July 24th with a lightning strike. We sit down with one of the safety officers at the incident command post during a very rare moment of calm for him. Very rare indeed. What's interesting about his career is that he's been both a sheriff's deputy as well as a firefighter, so he comes with two perspectives. Today he's going to give us his thoughts on the impressive fire behavior at the complex, including the pyrocumulus effects and the challenges of managing safety with diverse crews from around the country, literally from Alaska, Florida, New York, and places in between. Amazing. So here now is our conversation with Rancho Adobe Battalion Chief Dave Welsh. Yes, we are here at a different location. We are not at Mather this time around. We are on location in Modoc County at the Modoc July Complex Fire. We are recording this as of, uh, this is Thursday, right? It is Thursday. It is Thursday, okay. We are with a gentleman whose responsibility it is here at the incident command post and, without, and within the whole complex uh, fire to ensure that everybody is following the rules when it comes to safety. Uh, why don't you introduce yourself for me? My name is Dave Welch. I'm a battalion chief for the Ranch Adobe Fire District in Sonoma County. Okay, and you are here, why? Were you called up? Uh, how did that work? Uh, interestingly enough, I was called up as a safety officer too to help the type two team that was in place. I arrived on scene um, because of my red card qualifications. Uh, and then being qualified as a division supervisor, I was sent to Division Charlie on branch one on the first day uh, which would have been Saturday of this week and uh, had the fire blow up on us that day. Uh, I think we added about 3,000 acres wow. in uh, my uh, my division. Uh, blew over us a couple times and uh, it was a long day. Next day I came in I was just a typical line safety officer then when the type 1 team came in again because I had previously been on a CAL FIRE command team, uh, type 1 team, I was uh, drafted to join the federal type 1 team as a safety officer. So give us a little bit of background, just a short synopsis about how long you've been uh, at your job, uh, your career, just sort of hit the highlights. Uh, highlights, my career started at age uh, 18. I started at the Sonoma County Sheriff's Office. Uh, uh, wanted to be a cop since I was 8 years old, got into the Sheriff's Office very, very young. Worked corrections, uh, worked uh, custody. Um, I then uh, worked as a reserve deputy also patrol. Uh, my first night on the street, I was 18 years old. It was New Year's Eve, and my mother had to buy my ammunition for me because I wasn't old enough. Oh. <laughs> and so all <laughs> this time goes by. All this time goes by. I uh, end up at the Rona Park Police Department in 1989, which is a Department of Public Safety, both police and fire. I uh, served 24 years at the Rona Park Department of Public Safety and uh, then went over to uh, Rancho Adobe as uh, part-time battalion chief. And for those people who don't know where Rancho Adobe is, where is that? It is in Sonoma County, uh, right between uh, Runner Park and Petaluma. Great. And beautiful country up beautiful, there. Beautiful, beautiful. 
right? Uh, Sedona State University, if you're familiar with that, mm -hmm. is within our jurisdiction. Close to wine country. It is wine country. For those of you who just heard all that noise going by behind us, we are actually outside, uh, right on the sort of outer perimeter of the incident command post. But just to kind of paint the picture a little bit, on uh, the right side of us here, we've got some tents, we have uh, a PA system. We're actually sitting on the stage where the briefings happen. Right, we do a uh, briefing at six, uh, 0600 in the morning for the day shift resources, and another briefing at 1800 hours for the night resources. Okay, and then uh, to the left of us, we have, uh, besides the porta potties and the parking lot. <laughs> the honey huts, yes. Yes, the honey huts. Uh, we have a series of tents. It's, it's basically what looks to be like a military compound in a lot of ways. Um, tents that are thankfully air conditioned when it's on uh, yes, yeah, they're yurts, and then we have several. Uh, you call them construction trailers. Mm -hmm. uh, basically, we call it Main Street. It's uh, where all of the key, the command functions take place for the team. And uh, fortunately, uh, we have a shower close by. And uh, because of our remoteness, we have uh, a lot of satellite communications, right. and we have cows, which are cell on wheels, would have which have come in to provide us with uh, some of those resources. There you go. So uh, because we are here um, at the ICP for this complex fire, based on your your history, your experience, what was your, or what has been sort of the primary impression that this complex fire has made on you? What it's made on me is um, I, I have never, I've always worked for uh, type one federal teams on the fires I've been through in the last 27, 28 years. I've never actually worked with. Uh, fortunately, because of my experience on a CAL FIRE team, it blended very, very well with the uh, federal type one team. Uh, we do train the same way. We do do a lot of the same things. Um, so the the vastness of it is uh, impressive to me. That in the fuel types here in Modoc County, I've only been here one other time in Modoc County for the day fire, which I think was about three years ago. And, mm -hmm. The fire behavior impressed me then, and uh, it continues to impress and surprise me now. We'll continue with our conversation with Rancho Adobe Battalion Chief Dave Welch at the Modoc July Complex fire burning right now as of this recording. Coming up, the wild fire behavior. It starts spotting like it's nobody's business. Um, What's causing that ongoing problem at the Cove fire in particular in that complex? Well, let's find out right now. So what is it about the fire behavior that is impressing you? The, the bottom line is it, it's predictability in that right around 2 o'clock in the afternoon, the winds seem to come up, the uh, inversion layer seems to disappear, uh, it seems to uh, go up into the uh, pyrocumulus clouds, and it's, it starts spotting like it's nobody's business. Um, everything, the fuel types are just so receptive here, even though it's, the ground is deceptively flat, um, it's... Um, just shocking sometimes when you see the fire behavior um, right there in front of you. When you, you, back of your mind you were expecting it, but when it becomes a reality, uh, it's still a shock. Now today we drove around a portion of the perimeter of the, the Cove Correct. fire, which is uh, one of the big ones here within the complex. It, it is. As I think as acreage goes, it would be the bigger one. Um, it's just outside of the uh, town of Aden. Okay. And as we were driving around, uh, we cut through the middle of it. Uh, we got to see a lot of the devastation, the uh, the utter sort of nuclear winter that has happened. Yeah, that's after. how we referred to it. It was nuked. Yeah, it was nuked. 
uh, very eerie at times, but we obviously ran across different types of crews who are out there doing their jobs. As a safety officer, someone who's, whose responsibility it is to, you know, make sure that people are taking the, the required safety precautions in such a dangerous environment. What is the challenge for someone in, in your line of work in this particular position that you're in now uh, here, given the fact there's so many different types of crews being a unified command, you don't know most of these people, what is that like? What are the challenges there? Well, the uniqueness, uniqueness with this size fire is we literally have crews, <coughs> excuse me, and overhead personnel from all over the United States, from Alaska all the way to New York. We have uh, personnel across the United States. So uh, you do have uh, different cultures. Um, so, but at the end of the day, when it comes to the fire service and the wildland fire service, especially, uh, we, there's a, a standard of safety your PPE, um, the way that you, you know, chaps when you're uh, wearing chaps when you're operating a chainsaw, hearing protection, eye protection. So the challenge of a safety officer is to gain compliance without making an enemy. So it's to convince the individual, uh, not confront the individual, <coughs> excuse me, um, that they should be wearing their safety um, um, items. If they're not wearing them, uh, do they have them? If they don't have them, then actually uh, obtaining them for them. So the big challenge, again, is is to gain compliance. You're, you're not out there to be the, the PPE police, as we call it, mm. um, but we are out there to uh, basically make sure that they're uh, operating safe and uh, that everybody goes home at the end of the day. Today, when you were out running around with us, uh, being so kind enough to take us around, it seemed as though everybody was doing what they should have been doing. Actually, as a safety officer and as, as one of the team safety officers that's in charge of the safety officers and overall safety of everybody in the incident, at this point over 2,000 people, is actually a good feeling. It's, uh, it tells me that the messages that we're putting in print, that we're giving verbally at the briefings, that they are being taken seriously. Um, they are, are actually doing what we like them to do uh, to keep themselves safe. And that's great to hear because obviously we want everybody to walk away unscathed, having done their job and done it well, worked hard. At the end of the day, there's nothing out there that we protect that is worth our lives. Yeah. I mean, that's, I mean, at the bottom line, uh, timber, somebody's house, uh, somebody's hay field, they're grazing. At the end of the day, that is not worth the life of one of our firefighters. So take me back to one of the uh, a major incident that you can recall. That was a particular challenge for you, whether it was in law enforcement or as a mutual aid firefighter or you, you tell me what it was you did. Tell me a major challenge that, that you faced and how you got through it. I, I can, I think it was in 06. It was uh, down in Waterman Canyon. Um, actually started in Waterman Canyon, ended up in Running Springs. A uh, big firestorm down there, Santa Ana's. Uh, I had gone down as a strike team leader. And uh, we went to Running Springs Fire Department, uh, checked in with the fire chief there. And uh, he sent us down in the woods, much like the woods that were here, here up in uh, Modoc, except, you know, up there at altitude uh, up uh, by Big Bear Lake. And uh, it got nightfall, and we were told in no uncertain terms that the fire was going to hit us and that our job was to keep it on a certain side of the road and uh, keep it uh, from crossing over the roads. But we were also given orders that he did not want us chasing it. If a house started, caught fire, let it go, 
try to save the next one. Um, don't engage because our water was limited. Um, I deployed my uh, my strike team out. Um, it started getting dark and sure enough the, the fire hit us. The winds came up and the fire hit us. I recall vividly requesting more resources and being told by the fire chief who was the division supervisor at the time that uh, there were no more resources. So I vividly remember when the fire front hit us. We were deployed. Um, the trees on the, the uh, windward side of the fire and the side of the road where it was coming from started uh, igniting. Amber started blowing over. I re remember requesting from the fire chief who was acting as our division supervisor, hey, we need more resources. We need more strike teams. At which time I was told uh, that we were the only two up there, our, our strike team and another one. 10 type three engines and uh, their water system uh, at the time due to power out and everything wasn't the best. So uh, we, we got into the fight. We, we started working it and uh, we had to fall back several times. And, and I remember in a wildland fire, you're gonna lose acreage. Um, to me, it was very, this is one of my more major um, fires that I'd been in wildland fires or urban interface fires. I wasn't used to losing or writing off multiple homes. I actually had to, to get to down the block and, and draw a line in the sand of, the, of a house that I thought we could save. And th that was our line in the sand and, and write off the other 10 houses between there. Uh, that was a, a feeling that was very, very foreign to me. And like I said, wildland fires, yeah, you write off acreage and uh, we'll get on this ridge and we'll doze it up and uh, put a break in there and we'll stop it, fire it off and uh, whatnot. It's a lot different um, dealing with multiple structures uh, on something like that. So that's uh, one instance that really stands out. You lost the houses. Oh yeah, we lost. We lost. The eerie thing was um, after the front went through, I mean, the houses were completely consumed. I remember before the sun come up, driving through these neighborhoods, and all that was left was foundations, chimneys, and every house had a single flame where the gas meter had been. And the gas, gas was still flowing, so at every, you could tell where every house was because there was like a candle there um, for the house. Eerie, and, and uh, it obviously stands out in your mind. Oh, yes. Yeah. So everybody has a mistake that they've made throughout their career. These are things that help build character. They uh, build your experience base. Was there ever a time, you know, looking back, uh, maybe when you were first coming into, you know, a position, maybe it was just really early on in your career, was there a mistake that you made that you remember learning from? that you maybe could pass on to some of the younger men and women who are coming into the line of work that you have worked? You know, I think the one mistake that I, I made uh, having my career started so young was uh, not really respecting my elders. Really? You know, you get these old timers and they're telling old time stories, much like yeah. I'm telling now. <clears throat> and uh, like, yeah, well, you know, that wouldn't be me. And, and I would get, and uh, not really listening to their stories as the learning opportunity that they were. Um, so, yeah, um, I would have paid much more heed to um, those type of uh, opportunities that I had when 
I, I probably didn't. Yeah, I, I remember a situation like that, not necessarily on the job, but this was a moment with uh, my grandfather, who was an attorney and a, um, a judge at one point, and I was maybe 12 or 13 years old. And of course, when you're that young or that old, depending mm -hmm. on your perspective, um, you think you know more than you do. And my granddad was very well-traveled, very well-educated, and he would talk to me and I would always say, yeah, I know, I know, I know, I know. Yeah. And finally he stopped me one day and said, you know, that's really annoying. He goes, I love you, but you gotta stop saying that. <laughs> you, whether you know it or not, nobody wants to hear that you know it. Mm -hmm. Just listen. No, and, that'd be, it's awesome advice. You know, just listen to what people have to tell you because while they may tell you something that you're familiar with, there may be a little piece that you don't know. And I've always tried to to heed that advice. And it was one of the best pieces of advice he ever gave me. Because as a communicator, being a public information officer now in the news business before, uh, you really have to learn to listen. Continuing our sit down chat with Dave Welch, one of the safety officers at the complex fire in Modoc County, that's way up at the California-Oregon border. My first uh, night in a patrol car with a, a gun on as a, a reserve peace officer in Sonoma County. That's a story that lays the foundation for an important lesson he learned that lasted his entire career and one that he's passed on to his kids. It will surprise you. Back to the chat. You mentioned lessons learned and, and one lesson I did listen to from, uh, I think I was 18 years old. I, I believe it might have been New Year's Eve, my first uh, night in a patrol car with a, a gun on as a, a reserve peace officer in Sonoma County. And uh, I remember somebody teaching me the six P's. And uh, the six P's, same thing I've taught my children. I really kind of live my career. It's one of those things that really did sink in. And the six P's are proper planning prevents piss poor performance. I like that. And, yeah. uh, you know, interestingly enough, um, that's the way I raised my three children. Uh, my youngest daughter went to college in Montana and was uh, had a discussion with one of her professors one time. And uh, he was telling her something. And she, I must have been listening. She goes, oh, like the six P's. And he goes, well, what's that? And she goes, you know, proper planning prevents piss poor performance. He goes, oh my God, where did you hear that? I, I'd like to use that. And she goes, oh, I heard it from my dad and that's how he raised us kids. So, you know, and, and really when you break it down and I, I still kind of use that mantra um, in, in my everyday life and my careers is uh, yeah, proper planning. If you properly plan it, okay. And think of all the angles, you know, the what ifs, um, and uh, it will prevent piss poor performance. It's an easy one to remember. There you go. Makes it great. So listen, I don't want to take up too much of your time because I know you've got a lot to do. You've got a, a huge responsibility here. Plus the fact you're breathing in smoke every day, 24 seven, because even after you go hit the rack at your tent right here behind us, mm -hmm. you're still breathing in smoke. Oh yeah, well, you know, sometimes, sometimes the base camp gets smoked in. Other days, once while, usually or in the morning, it, it might be clear. And if yeah. it's not the smoke, it's the mosquitoes. So if there's one last story you'd like to share, if there's one last bit of wisdom from someone who has had the career that you've had, what would you like to share? What I would share is this. Um, and I, I think I might have shared this with you earlier. I never got into this business for money. I had always said, and, and even to this day, and I, don't get me wrong, I am thankful for the money. Uh, but, you know, if I could do it for free, I would. This type of work 
this type of career, whether it be law enforcement, whether it be fire, needs to be a passion. It should not be a job. Okay, if it's a job to you, then you're probably in the wrong one. It should be your passion. And it, because if it is your passion, you will absorb everything that you can absorb and you will retain that. If it's just a job, at the end of the day, you're gonna clock out. You feel more satisfied at the end of the day. It's easier to get up in the morning or in the evening, depending on your shift. Mm -hmm. It's easier to go sleep in a tent instead of a hotel room. Oh yeah. It's, I, I truly, I mean, you walked into my office, my tent, uh, uh, before we came out here for the, to have our talk, and you saw, I think I had three things hit me in five minutes, and um, and they were all, you know, it'd be irritating. I was trying to fix one thing and whatnot, um, but it's not irritating because it's just part of my my function here, and it's, it's a passion of mine. It's something I truly enjoy doing. Find your passion. And if you can earn your living at it, then all the, all the better. Then life right? is good. Life is good. Thank you so much for talking with us. I do appreciate Thank it. You. I'm going to let you get back to your job because it's a bigger, more important job than sitting <laughs> here talking to me. No, actually, your job is important. Get the information out there. Uh, hopefully, people will appreciate. I mean, you've been up here sucking smoke and eating mosquitoes, too. So, Quite tasty, aren't they? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Thank you, sir. You're welcome. Well, whether it's the six Ps, respecting your elders and listening to what they have to say, you might learn something, or whether it's the importance of passion in your life's work. Hopefully, you've learned a little bit from Chief Dave Welch, and hopefully you've enjoyed the conversation. If you have, there's more where that came from. Subscribe to All Hazards at the iTunes Store or Google Play. We'd certainly appreciate it, as well as any feedback you may have by emailing us at media at caloes.ca.gov. One more time, media at caloes.ca.gov. Hey, everybody, again, finally, thank you for listening. We really appreciate it. I'm Sean Boyd. Take care and be safe. You've been listening to the Cal OES All Hazards Podcast. Don't forget to check out our podcast page where you can find past episodes along with show notes and links and give us a social shout out. Tell others about us on Twitter and Facebook and let us know what you think. We'd love to hear from you.